0: Well, Redeemer Church of Dubai, it's such an honor to bring you God's Word this morning. I'm really humbled that God could speak through me through His Word. So let's make sure of that. And I want to pray before we start to make sure that God would speak to us through His Word. Well, let's pray. God, Amen. our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have. us and nations from many different places. Oh God, when we come before your word, we pray that you will humble us, and that you will give us listening ears, and that you will cause the Spirit to work in our hearts so that we will be convicted of sin, and that the Spirit will give us faith so that we will trust in Christ alone. Father, we pray. Amen. Consider the following people and their situations. Mark has just lost his job and is worried about his visa and being able to stay in the country. Sarah that she never get married. Mahe is constantly conscious. Matthew is afraid of losing his job and can't seem to stop worrying about it. Jacqueline can never seem to stop thinking about her weight. Julia is restless and can never sleep at night. with Anthony. Mary worries every time her children step outside the house. about his deteriorating health condition from long years of hard labor. All the people I have just mentioned seem to be struggling with the problem of worry. Well, what about you? What are you worrying about this morning? Have you ever considered how worrying affects what you do and what you don't do? Let me give you a personal illustration. Many years ago, as a high school student, I was taking part in a public speaking competition. Winning this was a huge deal for me. I was going to represent my school in an environmental competition, and the judges were representatives from the United Nations. And I was selected from my school to read a paper I wrote on pollution and its harmful effects in the UAE. I was confident. I loved the cheer of my classmates as I was walking up to the stage. But as I reached the stage and saw everybody, I suddenly froze. I was nervous and I stopped thinking. And every time I wanted to say pollution, I ended up saying population. So here was I, giving a speech to the United Nations on the harmful effects of population in the United Arab Emirates. I would say that population is the introduction of contaminants into the environment that causes instability, disorder, harm, discomfort and the like. I didn't understand why people were laughing when when I was giving that speech. You know what was surprising to me? Was that I didn't even realize that I was saying it wrong. But isn't that what happens to us when we get worried? It clouds our perspective, and it has this blinding effect on us, doesn't it? Now, just when we talk about worry, it's uh, important to say at the outset that there are many things in this world that we should be worried about, that we should be concerned about. We live in a world that is corrupted by sin, and we are experiencing the sufferings and difficulties of this fallen world, and we are called to live wisely in it. But, you know, it's human tendency that in the middle of these distressing times that come with the world, we can be easily consumed by worry and anxiety. And the way worry and anxiety affects us is that it paralyzes us. It makes us passive, makes us fearful, makes us doubtful. It cripples our faith and makes us... Focus on God and experience God's power in our lives. Thankfully, the Bible is filled with situations where God's people were experiencing these harsh realities in their lives and they were very honest about it. However, in the midst of those difficult circumstances, many of them learned what it was like to experience rest for their souls. So today we will look at one such psalm. Psalm 4, written by David, where he teaches teach us how to if in times of distress. Now David was a man anointed by God to be the king of his people, the nation of Israel. However, in this psalm, we locate David in the midst of a deep crisis. The psalm provides for us a look into the heart of this man as he goes through this difficult time. So no matter what trouble we go through in life, I assure you, the lessons we learn today from this psalm will bring us relief in times of distress. The two points that we will consider this morning are praying in times of distress and living in times of distress. Praying and living in times of distress. Let's listen in to David, verse 1, Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And the Lord will hear when I call to him. Well, let's stop there for now and consider this prayer. So what is the situation that David seems to be facing? He describes it as being in distress in verse 1. And seems to be desperately looking for some sort of relief, some sort of comfort. Hear him plead with God there. Answer me. When I call to you. Verse 2 sheds more light on what exactly his situation is. He says, How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? You see what David was going through? These men were being ashamed, were shaming David. David was struggling from a loss of reputation. Now just so that we don't think that David was being too consumed by himself it's important to know that david was god's anointed king of israel though he wasn't perfect yet he was one of the most successful kings in the nation of israel though many times david lost heart god never gave up and he continued to be faithful and made david the king of israel god did not only intend for david to be the king But he also intended for him to be the deliverer of his people. David, in so many ways, was the prefiguring of another king. The perfect, righteous king, who would not only come from his line, but would also sit on his throne. He was the foreshadowing of Christ Jesus. You see, David's glory was pointing to a much greater glory that Jesus will have as the king. And what are these men doing? These men were attacking the honor and dignity of God's anointed king. This attack represents a rebellion from the people against the rule of God in their lives. But note that this attack was not just against David, but it was directed... Against God himself. Well, did you notice anything else about the attacks? You see that it is not just an act of impulse. David says, How long, O men? How long? You get the sense that this was some sort of prolonged, humiliating attacks. And there was no indication that it was ever going to stop anytime soon. How long, O men? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? These men loved delusions. They loved being misled. They loved being deceived. And they were also seeking false gods. See, this verse seems to imply that these men should have been seeking the true God, the God of Israel. So, probably, these were enemies of David from his own kingdom who were taunting him. Now, some people have said, That this is a psalm that David prays while he is on the run. David is fleeing for his life from those who are out to take his throne. And you know who was leading the rebellion? It was David's own wicked son, Absalom. It's a great story to read if you want to. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 15 and 16. David's son was living under his mercy And there he turned the hearts of his subordinates and his officials against David. And now was after David's throne. But see, this is a monarchy. The only way Absalom was ever going to be the king was if he killed David. And so he was out to kill him. So David, unwilling to kill his own son, chooses to flee and run for his life with a band of faithful men. So now some people have said that this psalm is a prayer that David prays on the run while he's hiding in a cave. But no matter what exactly was the situation that David was encountering as he was writing the psalm, one thing is clear is that in this psalm he was experiencing deep distress. And what's important to note is the response that David gives in his distress. Look at verse 3. No, no. That the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself, and the Lord will hear when I call Him. The Lord will hear when I call Him. What confidence! But what was it based on? Now, isn't it a little presumptuous of David to think that he could get the hearing with the most high, most righteous, most holy God? It would be presumptuous if David was basing His confidence on his own godliness. But if you were familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba, you would know that David had morally failed. He was not perfect by any measure. So what exactly does this verse mean then? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. You see, what this verse is saying is that it is because God has set apart For himself, a people to be godly, is why he hears their prayers. You see, God is completely righteous, completely holy, just like how David recognizes in his prayer. And because we are sinful, and everyone who is born in this world is sinful, is imperfect and guilty of sin, we cannot have fellowship with this most holy God. Everyone in this world experiences a separation from God. And there is nothing humans could ever do to bridge the gap and reach God. Only God had to do something. Do you see that this verse is completely about God's grace? Who is working in this verse? It is only God. God is the worker. God sets apart a people for himself. And God hears their prayers. This is how God gets the glory for himself. Now, In the Old Testament, what God did was create a nation for himself and said that he would be their God and he would dwell among them. God told them on Mount Sinai while he was giving the law, before he was giving the law, that they were going to be set apart as his treasured possession among all the other nations. They will be a kingdom of priests and they will be a holy nation. There was nothing Israel did to deserve this privileged status with God. It was simply God's mercy. But despite seeing God's mercy, these people continue to rebel against God, continue to fail Him in His laws and reject His rule in their lives. But you know, unfortunately, everybody who rebels against God, everybody who rejects His rule in their lives gets God's judgment, gets His condemnation. But here is where we see God's grace and God's mercy and His faithfulness To the forefather Abraham. God sent Jesus into this world to live a perfect life. And he did it. In accordance with all his commands and all of God's laws. He died a death that he did not deserve. God made him to be the king. And now he offers righteousness and forgiveness of sins. For anyone who is ready to come under this rule of Christ. For anyone who is ready to be subjected to this rule of Jesus. It is now for all peoples, for all nations, and for all languages. See, even now, God is setting apart a people for himself. But it is through faith in Christ alone. He promises to offer Jesus' righteousness if anyone would come to him in repentance and belief. Friends, I assure you, that every one of us here in this room today is guilty of rebelling against this king. You see, Jesus' rule was a fulfillment of David's rule. Every time we reject God's grace through Christ and choose to live lives the way we like, we are just like the enemies we see in this passage. We turn Christ's glory into shame. Every time, We look at God's laws and think that we can achieve a good life and that God will reward us based on how hard we try. Friends, we are like the enemies. We are just deluding ourselves. We make ourselves to be our gods. We write our own laws. We are no different from these enemies. We are no different from us who in his lust to be his own king was out to kill this righteous, God's anointed king. We are guilty of this too. It is because of our sins that Christ was crucified. But there will come a day when God will judge people for their rebellion against him. And this is really what we have to be worried about. Friends, the only hope we have is to be set apart by God in Christ. So the most important question I want to ask you this morning is do you know for sure if you have been set apart by God through Christ? If you don't, then know that you can have it this morning. Turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ alone and He will make you His people. This psalm tells us that it is only because we are set apart by God that He will hear our prayers. This was David's confidence during his time of deepest distress. This is not a prayer motivated by uncertainty. This is not a prayer motivated by fear or anxiety or tension or doubt. No, what you see rather is confidence that David has that God is going to answer his prayer because he was set apart. And what did it do to him? It drove him to pray. It drove him to plead with God during the time of his deepest distress, looking for relief. David appeals to this God based on his righteousness and based on his mercy. Because he knows that it is only because God is merciful that he can ever get a hearing before this holy and righteous God. And that is the only reason why God will answer his prayers. So David pleads with this God for relief. So Redeemer Church, what about us? How is it that we pray? Let's look at three lessons that we can gather from David's prayer about praying. Firstly, pray based on God's character, that is, who He is and what He has done. You see, prayer comes out of a personal relationship with God. And this God wants us to pray according to His character. So we need to spend time in His Word, understanding who this God is and studying His character and praying to Him based on those. And remember, when we come before this God in prayer, it is simply by His grace cleansed by Christ. So we don't have to use effort in exerting emotions or tears in our prayers. It's only by grace and not based on anything we can do or we have done. Second, pray with confidence that God will hear your prayer. Those who are set apart by God through Christ will have the confidence and must have the confidence that God will answer. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Now, of course, this doesn't mean, again, that if we just add those three words in Jesus' name to the end of our prayer, some magic, it's like some magic formula makes our prayers more powerful. No, there is no magic. But when we come to God in the name of Jesus, what it means is that Christ and Jesus is representing us before the Father. It is because of His righteous character that God hears our prayers. Third, pray earnestly. Just because we are confident that God will hear our prayers shouldn't stop us from praying and definitely shouldn't stop us from praying earnestly. David, who was confident that God will hear his prayer, prays for God to answer him. You can almost hear the intensity with which he prayed. Answer me when I call to you. Jesus himself prayed earnest and heartfelt prayers. So in Hebrews 5, 7, the author tells us that Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears. Well, friends, wouldn't it be wonderful if our church was marked by this kind of praying? Prayer can help us find relief in the midst of the most trying circumstances. You know why? Because prayer takes the focus off from us and puts it in its appropriate place, which is God. But of course, praying like this does not guarantee that God is going to remove those difficult circumstances and those difficult people that we can't get along with from our lives. No. But what he assures us is that in the midst of those trying times, we will find relief in this God. We considered the prayer. Now we will consider the life. So what is it like living in distress? Listen to David's instruction to the righteous who are set apart by God. Verse 4. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, Search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. Do you ever wonder when things go wrong in your life, why things go wrong in your life? Do you know that it's in the middle of those trying circumstances that our deepest desires are exposed. So it's when things go wrong that we let our guard down and show what kind of people we really, really are. You begin to see what's most important to you and what's most precious to you. Let me give you another personal illustration. About three years ago, I was sitting in a jail in Dubai. I was with all kinds of interesting people. I even met someone from my church there. (laughs) But I was there because of a traffic accident. 11-year-old boy that morning jumped in front of my car, and there was no time to react. After the collision, he lay motionless on the road. He was rushed to the hospital, and I was rushed to the police station. The boy is okay. But I had to spend three days and two nights in this holding facility, not knowing what happened to him. And not knowing what was the outcome um, of it. The people around me were advising me that it is better for me to think that I was going to spend more time in jail. So I'll be ready for the news if that happens. I couldn't help but ask God, why? Why was I in this position? What did I do? It didn't make any sense to me. I started thinking about what would have happened if I took another road. I would have been sleeping on my bed at home. It was hard to see God's goodness then. But you know, it was there that I learned an important lesson in my life. God showed me what was the most precious things in my life and the most important things in my life. And I realized that it was my comfort and it was my safety. This experience exposed my most important desires. It brought out what I valued most in my life. It showed me what it was exactly that I was basing my security and hope on. Well, let's thank God that David went through distress because now we get to see what was most valuable for him and what was most important for him. We can see what his deepest desires were. Of all the words that he chooses to say, David says, In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. You see, David was most concerned about the heart and that he was committed to not giving into sin no matter how difficult the distress was, no matter how trying the time was. Paul takes this verse and quotes it in Ephesians 4, 26. And that's what Peter read for us before. And he is instructing Christians to live pure lives here. You know when is the most difficult time that we struggle with anger? At least for me, It is when somebody sins against me. When I feel like I am the victim of somebody's sin. We can be easily consumed by revenge. We can be easily consumed by bitterness. And we start justifying those feelings and reactions that we have. In the New Testament, Paul teaches Christians something important about anger. So in Romans 12 verse 19, Paul says... Never, let, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that the reason why we should not be taking revenge is because God will take vengeance. So we must believe that God is the best person to administer justice, more thoroughly and more comprehensively than anybody else in this world. David says, in your anger, do not sin. Do you notice that anger is not necessarily sinful? God was angry many times. God is angry at our sin. However, What makes us incapable of this righteous sort of anger is that we are sinful human beings. We feel that the biggest crime ever experienced in the world was the one that was done against us. And that does not deserve forgiveness. We forget who we are before God and what we have done against Him. David says, in your anger do not sin. But he not only commands us, to examine our hearts and to put off sin, but he also commands us to put on faith and offer right sacrifices. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were required to observe certain sacrifices. God gave laws concerning these sacrifices, and these laws were precise on exactly what they were to do and how they were to do it. These sacrifices were necessary because God was holy and these people were not. However, The sacrifices in themselves did nothing to cleanse the people or give them power over their sin. But what it did was point them to the ultimate sacrifice that was coming many years later. And that was Christ Jesus and his death on the cross. So observing these sacrifices for them was looking to a bigger hope. Also notice that David says in verse 6, He takes takes the complaint of the people before the Lord. He says, who can show us any good? And then he says, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. See, what David is doing here is he is repeating a blessing that God gave to the people of Israel through Aaron in Numbers 625. This blessing represented a promise of good favor from the Lord and on the people of Israel. So how does David cope with worry in the midst of difficult times? His strategy against worry is to hold on to the promises of God. God is faithful and he will fulfill his promise. So how do we apply this today? All the promises and all the favors of God come to us today through Christ. So 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And and so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You know why we worry? We worry because in difficult times, we do not have the promises of God that God offers to us in view. It's always easier to believe what we see around us, isn't it? What we experience. It's much more harder to believe in God in the midst of difficulties because it requires faith. And when we give in to worry and when we give in to panic, we take our eyes off the gospel. We see no hope. We see no life. We see no righteousness. We see no Christ and we see no heaven. For those of us who have experienced Christ-saving love and constantly reflects on these promises in the gospel, our lives will be full of joy, and our lives will be full of peace. David was like that. David was filled with joy after he reflected on the promises of God and prayed based on those promises. Notice what he says in verse 7. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when the grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It was not in grain or it was not in wine that David's trust lied in. It was in the Lord. This is why he can be filled with greater joy. David can lie down and sleep in peace. Even when his throne was threatened, even when his life was at risk, his life was secure in God. Friends, no matter what it is that we are worried about today, I assure you that the problems we face today is very small compared with what we will face on the last day when we meet God face to face. The distress that we are going through now is only a small hint of the distress that we will face in eternity without Christ. On that day, when we meet God, nothing else is going to matter, not our careers not our experiences, not the ones we loved, none of it is going to hold us up. It is only Christ and His righteousness. I urge you, trust in Christ alone all the time, whether you're in trouble or not. He is the only hope we have today and forever. And He promises never to abandon us. Let me conclude. So three years ago, when I was sitting in that Jail and still contemplating why I was there, and God revealing to me some of the most important things in my life. It was at that time that I got to meet seven young men who were of my age who were also caught, but they were caught for possession of drugs. They were all in their mid 20s, they had great families, they had great jobs, they had great lives, but they were very depressed. Because they just found out that they were going to be imprisoned for four years, which was the minimum sentence for drugs. What was really interesting for me was a conversation that I had with one of them. And it just stuck. So he said, you know, the reason I did it was because I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew that this was the consequence. But you know, I don't believe him. I don't think he really knew what the consequences were. I don't think he really knew what it was like to lose his family and to lose his life. To lose everything that he put his comfort and security on. I don't think he knew that. Isn't it alarming that we can go through life but we never know what it is that we have placed our hope on. We cannot know unless God reveals it to us. And most many times... The reason why God gives us these distressing situations in life is because He is revealing to us that it is Christ alone that we should be standing on. You know, four years is really not that long a time, if you think about it. Especially for someone as young as me. They have their whole lives ahead of them. But that conversation that I had with him and seeing his despair and his depression, where he said, that I knew what I was getting into, but I still did it. And yet, it was too late when I met him. That was to me a small hint of what that judgment day is going to look like. So for many of us, we go through life thinking that we can bear the consequences or take it for granted that we will never meet this God as a judge one day. But what happens when we really go before that Lord on that last day? What is it that we are going to base our confidence on? What is it that we will feel secure in? Friends, I urge you, turn from everything else and put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Because when we go before this holy God, there is nothing that we can show Him that's going to save us. There is nothing Not our jobs, not our experiences, not the way we look, not our abilities. None of that is going to matter. Only one, and that is Christ and His righteousness. My dear Christian brothers and sisters, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then know that your future is certain because it doesn't depend on you, and it depends on Christ. And Christ has secured it for you. So when you are in the midst of trouble, And when you're in the midst of sufferings, all you need to do is put it in the right perspective and know that the most important problem in your life has already been taken care of. And that is God's love, which is forever yours through Christ. This is how our lives can be full of joy. This is how we can sleep, no matter what the circumstance. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us in our rebellion and in our rejection of you. Lord, that you have poured your grace into this world through Christ and his work on the cross. Father, I pray and I plead with you, Lord, that only you can appropriate those blessings of the gospel and those promises of the gospel to each and every one of us here today. So we pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here, who has not turned in repentance and belief to this Jesus, we pray that you will help us see Christ as the only security that we can have, the only ground that we can stand on that is sure or we can have a firm footing on. Father, we pray that everything else in this life will not take us and distract us from the promises that we have in Christ. Keep our eyes fixed on it, Lord, and help us to be more and more transformed to be like your son. We pray all this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen.